If you don't want to die, keep your hands high. Ain't no right or wrong in this game called survive. Yo, what's good? This is Tracy Lee, and you're now rocking with the Tissue and the Tape Podcast. The hip-hop conversation. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Like we always do about this time. Oh, this is Tissue and the Tape. Respect, hate, homeless. Respect, hate, homeless. Negro! Remember that feeling, y'all? When you want to push the rewind button, cause when a nigga say it's hot. When you argue with your man like yo, I'm telling you, pick that shit up, that nigga's crazy. Well, that feeling is back. I've been doing this car, I done stuff, since you in the top of a tape, just to record more and more. One wreck, the other destroys, and if you think you raised a mess, kills the noise. And every word I utter for hip-hop lovers will reflect forever like two mirrors facing each other. Let me break the style down so you don't have to wonder. I hate to be the bad, bad new man. I'm just telling you what everybody else thinking. They just too scared to say it, nigga. I don't give a fuck, nigga. You can't do shit to me. Doing this more than you. Doing what you ain't more got, than me? Come on, chill out. You bro, ain't got the Kanye answer. Kanye you ain't been doing the education. Bro. You ain't been doing the education. Ain't this what they've been waiting for? You ready? Uh. Uh. I knew the shit was about to go down. You're here. I'm here. Let's do this. It's the world's famous TITT. We have a special edition. Phil Matic. Let's get right into it, baby. Who we got? Oh, you already know, man. Uh, when we started this show uh, almost four years ago, I, I told you right from the door, man. Uh, this was this was for uh, it was for four people. It was for Kobe Cole. It was for Sway. It was for King Tech, and it was for Stretch and Bob. So I guess that's five. But um, yeah. but that's that's why we started this show for the people that we looked up to. Um, people like the Buddha Brothers. So. One of the early shows we did, we were able to get some of the uh, the, the people that we love, Razzcast, Rhapsody. But this gentleman that we're about to bring on is one of the the people that made me want to do this, that made you want to do this. So without further ado, we're going to get right into it. Welcome back for the second time, ladies and gentlemen, the legendary Kobe Cole. What's going on, brother? Wow, man. That was, that was a great intro. I remember the last time I was on the show, I was just thinking about it today. <laughs> that I was, it was, I was driving from Cincinnati to Columbus. Yeah, yeah. man. And I, and, I had, and I had you guys on the phone for half the trip, and, and in the middle of uh, backwoods Ohio somewhere. Yeah, yeah man. Uh, I listen. I actually listened to it, uh, and it was. It's crazy to see like how how different, even just a couple years ago, how different the landscape of the culture is. Uh, um, but. Yeah, man. But that's why we're here. Um, we, we, we'll we get into what's going on now, but I, I want to take you back for a minute. Um, you're doing something that's pretty phenomenal, man. Uh, we, we often talk about uh, conservation through conversation, but uh, what you what you got going on right now is is I would say the embodiment of that. Um, um, so without, you know, just just let the people what you got going on right now and why we got you on tonight. Um, well, I'm. I decided um, I heard the uh, podcast last summer, um, the Making of a Mogul podcast, Combat Jack, rest, God rest his soul. And um, I was just blown away by 
this the story of Chris Lighty, somebody who I knew and I knew his family. And then I was like, wow, I didn't really, you, you think you know people, but you really don't know people. And it was just the way Combat Jack just, just layered the story and just the interesting aspect. And then it's just like the depression aspect. And it was just, it was a movie. And, um, and it was the one part when he was talking about Fat Joe and I had learned, I thought I knew everything about Fat Joe, but then I had learned something more about Fat Joe. And it was at that point I was like, man, you know what? Like I got all these stories in my head and I was trying to write a book. I've been trying to write a book for like seven years now, but I just haven't been motivated to like, because I got a, a busy job and a hectic career and I just wasn't motivated to write. And um, I uh, got in- inspired. And so I, I listened to that whole podcast and I listened to it and it was five i think it was six episodes and i i caught up to it up to episode five and i had to wait a week for episode six (laughs) and it was that when i was like yo like i could do this like this is something i could do i mean i got a million and one stories and then i got the audio to kind of like back it up and then you know when i was out of work it's it's interesting how god works because when i was out of work in 08 when the economy crashed and i was like literally trying to figure out what i was going to do and i um I had just boxes and boxes of tapes from Radioactive, and then I had boxes of tapes from just when I was just regularly on the radio. I literally saved everything, so I start to, started to digitalize all of that stuff in 08, and I, you know, I put them on a on a on a hard drive. Like I'm I'm actually sitting right here because I found my original hard drive that I put it all on. It's right here hooked up into this computer, and um, I I, I released a couple episode a couple things here and there, but you know, it's one thing to just play an old interview, but it's another thing to tell a story. And so I decided to tell, you know, tell stories. And also I work in my current job as vice president of programmer for Radio One. I work with a lot of young people and um, they don't really know hip hop. Like they just like their idea of hip hop or whatever. It's just so weird. It's like, and then I feel like I'm, (laughs) I feel like I'm sitting around a campfire and I'm always telling stories. And then they'll see a picture on Throwback Thursday and they'd just be like, wow, you knew this person and you knew this, that person. And and they would be eyes wide open, like listening to these stories. So that was sort of like the genesis. And so in the summer, I, um, I knew Jay-Z was coming with an album. And I right after that Combat Jack, I just listened to my first four Jay-Z interviews and I was like, I was listening to it and I was like, wow, like he literally was operating like a mogul. Uh, you know, he was a businessman. He was making business moves before he even had an opportunity to be a businessman. Like it was I was listening to the first interview, which right. was two months before Reasonable Doubt. Then I was listening to him talk about um, he had just I did a video for In My Lifetime and he was in St. Thomas with all these beautiful women. He he didn't he didn't even have it. I mean, who where's the money? How do you do this? Like, you know, like I was just listening to it. And I was like, and then when you break down his lyrics, how he was like schooling rappers and he was nobody. Like, who are you to be talking about rappers but also teaching a class to rappers? So I was like, oh my God, this is like a story. And then you listen to the first interview and he was kind of nervous. And then the second interview, um, it was literally like three months before Reasonable Doubt. And then the third interview was like three weeks after Reasonable Doubt. And you could just, I mean, 
he was in California. Then I was like, my mind was spinning. I was like, dude, this dude was like going up and down the coast of California doing a bunch of shows in California. This was like three months before Tupac got killed. It was very nervous for an East Coast rapper to be in California. Like, um, and I just watched the BET uh, they, they did last week. They did a whole thing on Death Row and that was phenomenal. It just brought back so many memories. And I literally have been a part of all of this. Like I literally have been a part of it. So I put out a podcast last summer, it was just the, the making of a businessman with Jay-Z. And I did those first four interviews and I was getting so much response from young people. Like young people was like, yo, like this, that's dope. I didn't, a lot of young people like, and some of them could be like 30. They don't really know reasonable doubt. They know like, <laughs> maybe like, give it to you, give it to me. That's that era, maybe, maybe blueprint. Like it just depends. Like they don't, a lot, like they, a lot of people don't know reasonable doubt. Like they know about it, but they don't know it. Yeah. Like, you know, just know the, the, the music. So all these young people were like, yo, this, this is just like, man, I didn't know this about Jay-Z. And then I started telling stories about Jay-Z cause it's like, it's weird. Like I got all these stories, you know, and I haven't seen him. I haven't talked to him in like 10 years. But um, he saw me, it's weird with him and me. Like he'll see me at a concert because I usually will, I'll usually get a really good seat at one of his concerts. So literally I'm at, um, this is 2013. I'm at M&T Bank Stadium in Baltimore, right? Football stadium. And I had really good seats, like literally like 10th row, like right in the middle. And it was him and Justin Timberlake that tour. Cause my wife like loves Justin Timberlake, so she she. Cause oh, I didn't want to go to that. I was like, I'm a whole fan. We were at it. <laughs> we, yeah. we, we, I'm we a whole were. fan. Yeah, and we, I like. <laughs> I can't do it. Like like the whole and Justin Timberlake. I just couldn't even stomach it. Like, but I went or whatever. And I actually, that's, I that's went because I I went as a guest of Justin Timberlake, and I introduced my wife to Justin Timberlake that night, when she was just like, oh my god. So, so as a oh, bonus, we'll see that night. Like, okay. Um, and he saw me, he pointed to me, saw me, saluted me, whatever. Like, cause I've, I've, I mean, literally known the guy before he was famous. And so I thought about all these stories that I have about him. And so I did the podcast and the young people responded. And then I started thinking about all the other stuff that I have, all the other tapes that I have and not just radioactive stuff. I mean, I have stuff from, you know, my career. I mean, I've got like, you know, I got this interview I did, this amazing interview I did with Janet Jackson. She doesn't really do good interviews, but I had a really good interview with her. And I literally went to her suite at the Four Seasons in Philadelphia and sat in her room and interviewed her. Like, and wow. that's the craziest <laughs> shit. Like, I get, and I, I, was in, I was, I was, she had just broken up with um the guy she was married, Renee, whatever his name was, the guy she was secretly married to all those years. Yeah. And I actually asked her out on a date, and I have this on tape. <laughs> and uh, you, you, so you asked her out on 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 yeah, uh, on the was, tape. I, but I was fucking with her because I was like, she's Janet Jackson. She's not going to she she's going to be like, she's not going to be she's not going to pay me no mind. But I was I, I asked her in this interview, like, do you go out with a regular guy like you're Janet Jackson? So like you're now single. So how would you you know, who hook up with you or whatever? And she was like, oh, I would go out with a regular guy. In fact, I probably want to be with a regular guy like because, you know, this these guys are blah, 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 blah. And I said, well, would you like to go out on a date? And so she said, 
she said, well, I'm kind of busy on tour, but maybe the next time I come through or whatever, it was kind of like cool. And I was just kind of going along with the going along with the flow. But anyway, I got a bunch of memories <laughs> of, of, of stuff like that. And so I want to, and you know, like one of the podcasts that I'm going to do on Gabrielle Union, I interviewed Gabrielle Union. This was very early in her career. And I kind of tell her story. Like, so people know Gabrielle Union and they were like, oh, she's married to Dwayne Wade and she's on being Mary Jane. But like, she's been rocking for 20 years, like almost 20 years now. And she has a hell of a career. But a lot of people don't know about that. She got raped. She was working at a Payless shoe store in Omaha, Nebraska. That's where she's from. Not a lot of black people from Omaha, Nebraska. And she was working in a Payless shoe store and some guy that used to work there was going around robbing him and he raped her and she told the story and you don't really hear about that story anywhere. So like I got stuff like that and um, I'm doing the Chris Brown. I'm doing one on Chris Brown because I literally knew him when he was a kid, just knew his A&R and kind of told his story. And then I shared this interview I did with him the day he found out about um, the day he found the literally like 10 months after his the his first single came and he blew up and 10 months later he um he gets his BET award that nomination that day so I was talk, talking to him that day and then just you know I mean and just hip hop wise I mean the the next podcast that I release um um when when does this air this is going to come out uh next uh tuesday so all right perfect so, so what date that's going six. to be the six yes so the best podcast i've done to date is out now today and that is the the story of christopher notorious big wallace and oh, i man. basically i, I basically right. tell, i tell his story like i i tell his story from the perspective of, you know, a lot of people don't know this about me, but like, and I've been telling this in the podcast, so my parents were divorced and I was born in New York City. That's where I, you know, where I, where I was raised basically between New York and Philly and my parents got divorced. And um, so I tell this story, um, watching hip hop from its birth, but from a kid who actually lived in New York and lived in Philly and watched it grow in Philly, but watched it grow in New York because I was literally living back and forth. And That's so, a unique perspective. Oh, it's a very unique perspective. I and mean, we lived in Harlem. Like we, we, I used to go to the South Bronx and I used to, there's all kind of shit that I seen that I was like, wow. Like, yeah, I was, very, I, was I was listening to the journey. You were talking about how, like, uh, the, how it compared to the get down and like how you saw that firsthand. And, yeah. Like, the burnt yeah. out buildings and you know yeah. like how, how, but, I, but, I, but I also told that story which is nothing about hip hop what people don't understand and I gotta shout out my brother Kevin Powell because I just listened to his podcast He's, I, I've been friends with him forever when he was I met him when he was on the real world and MTV like yeah, the first the, season original of original reality show uh, when it yeah. was really real well he he um, launched a new um, podcast um uh, and he talks a little bit about his first podcast was about Martin Luther King, like the yeah. story of kind of the Martin Luther King. But he talked a little bit about poverty and um, and social stuff. And and in my podcast, if you notice, I talk about a little. I add a little political stuff into it too, because I feel like people don't know the story. You don't realize that you know, Cool Herc is an immigrant. He came. He he grew up in Kingston, and he watched. Yeah. 
hip hop is roots is Afro-Caribbean. Absolutely. Literally Afro-Caribbean. That's what it was. Like Jamaica is really the birthplace of hip hop. And Cool Hurt was watching um the um you know the events taking place in his where he lived at and these big sound systems and you know that was what he brought to you know he came up with his own sound system and you know he literally invented hip-hop right but he came from emigrated emigrated from jamaica at 12 years old and you think about everything that's happened politically right now with the president and all that like like our greatest treasure did it, yeah, it came from the Bronx, but it really came from Jamaica. It came from Kingston, Jamaica. That's where it came from. And then um, Africa Bambada, you know, who went to, who who was in a gang. So when I get, and I, I know I'm all over the place, but when I do the biggie, I tell the story. Like I tell more about Africa Bambada and I tell a little bit about Cool Herc, that Afro-Caribbean, because um, Africa Bambada went to Africa. He was a gang member and he won an essay contest that gave him a free trip to Africa. He went to Africa and he loved the movie Zulu and he kind of watched what was going on over there. And he saw, man, we gangbanging over here in, in, in the, the, the 70s, the late 60s and 70s, actually the time when Cool Herc emigrated in 67, the gang problem in New York City was awful because the Bronx was like a war zone because they put the Cross Bronx Expressway through the neighborhood. The white people moved out. The landlords wanted to um, get the insurance money on the buildings. So that's why all the bill every day was a different fire. It was Port Apache, the Bronx. They made a movie about it. Like all this stuff out of all of that is where hip hop was born out of that. Like it, 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 cre it was created out of the worst possible circumstances. And people don't know that story. And so for Biggie, who was in Brooklyn, everybody looked to the Bronx. And it was interesting at that time is how it started in the Bronx, but how quickly it moved from um, borough to borough, you know, then to Jersey, then to Hartford and Philly and Boston and then the rest of the country and then the world. Like it just, it just moved. Wildfire. And, yeah, and Biggie was in Brooklyn. And I talked a little bit about, um, um, the early days of hip hop, and actually, I tell the story. But when you watch Notorious, they did a great job in Notorious, like the first half an hour when they were just dealing with him as a kid. Like literally, it was really um, a salute to hip hop. Like being a kid in New York and you rapping the breaks, or you reading Word Up magazine, and so he watched like the birth of hip hop. And then the biggest MC that rep Brooklyn was Big Daddy Kane. He was the first big MC from Big uh, for, from Brooklyn. And Big Daddy Kane influenced um, Jay Z and um, Biggie. They were both influenced, and both have a connection to him. Like, yeah. and people don't know that. They don't know that DJ Mr. Jay being on show and crew. Yeah. And and then Big being uh you know being dis uh, discovered, discovered by, by you know partially by Mr. C and yep. working with him. Yep. Yeah, so so I tell that story of just Biggie's life. And then it's like, so think about this. You're a kid. You grew up, you're growing up in the melting pot of New York City, the greater New York City area, where the city at that time, 70s, going into 80s, it fed off a of hip-hop culture. Like, 
you, you can say whatever you want about New York City because I, I always talk about it. It's like the spectacle of wealth now. Like New York is just so extravagant. Oh, yeah, it's definitely not the same. Yeah, yeah. You can't afford to live there no more. Like, you can't go live in. And I'm actually looking forward to this. Tracy Morgan's got this show coming out on TBS where he's been in jail for like 10 years and he's from Brooklyn and he comes back yeah, and it's gentrified. And it's all gentrified. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like that's real though. That's that's real. Or even Biggie, um, where Biggie lived at. It's gentrified now. I was just over there a couple years ago. My wife's girlfriend lived there and we would go to her house. I'm like, this is that style. Like, what the hell happened? Yeah, we but, talked but, to uh, uh, rapper Sky Zoo, and he lived right down the street from, you know, St. James and Fulton, where Big grew up in, and he was saying the same thing. You know? Well, I want people to, to listen to it because the first, there's two parts to the podcast, but the first half an hour is literally the story of hip hop. And so Big, growing up, watching hip hop develop around him, right? He sees the first generation of MCs from the Bronx that are Cold Cush brothers, you know, Grandmaster Flash. He sees all of that Sugar Hill Gang. Then he sees that second generation that exploded the Run DMCs and the, you know, the the Curtis Blows and the, you know, uh, Houdini and all Rock of that. Cam. Yeah, Rakim. Then he sees the West Coast take it and run with it, right? And then the West Coast yeah. kind of like feels hip-hop from new york like all of a sudden new york wasn't hot no more and then he's the one that brings it back and brings it back and becomes the biggest rapper in the world and the king of new york you know what i mean like i tell that story where like people just say oh biggie's from brooklyn no there's a whole story there like he grew up and i grew up like that i literally grew up i used to be on the greyhound every weekend from philly to new york because i had to go stay with my dad on the weekends and i would stay there every summer i lived in new york and I was a B-boy and I remember coming back to Philly and I was in high school in Philly and junior high school and the kids was like, like thought I was weird because I was always, you know, connecting with hip hop culture early on. And we, we had a stoop, um, we lived on 143rd Street between Broadway and Amsterdam and we had the best stoop on the block where you could literally sit there and you got, you could look up the block and you could look down the block. My neighbor two doors down was Samuel Jackson before he was famous. Like this yeah, was like, I, that, that, that was cool on the uh, on the on the one drink where you had the uh, little uh, Samuel L snippet. Yeah, because <laughs> like, yeah. that was that was that was real. Like I like there was a when it's I laugh at this, but I don't laugh at it because it's actually kind of sad. But when he played Gator in Jungle Fever, that was real, right? Well, well, he he had his issues, but I don't I don't I don't remember him like that. But I remember a person like that on our block when he lived there like if i felt like he was playing that guy you know what i mean but i i know that there was a you know there was a substance issue thing in that time because my yeah. brother was into drugs at that time and there was you know there was this sadistic homosexual gangster drug dealer that lived on our block that was like scarface like but he was nice as pie to you but then he was like the psychopath like and it was just, yeah it was just it was just it was it was a weird upbringing, but hip hop was really shaping it. I mean, you had your boombox, and then on the LL podcast, I talk a little bit about radio. Then the first verse of radio is my existence. That's what it was. My radio was too loud. Turn it down. Why you wear your shoes like that? Why you look like that? You know, um, I'm sorry if you don't understand, but I need a radio inside my hand. That's any B boy's existence because. I talked a little bit about um, 
the radio cats at the time, I called them hard hard bottoms because they was they would wear their hard bottom dress shoes and it was all about R and B music and that hip hop shit is whack. You know what I mean? Like yeah. like yeah. I tell that story as being a kid. Like when I first got my first internship, I was the youngest guy at the station. I was the kid. I literally was 17 years old when I got my internship, right? 17, which does would never happen today. And I was worked harder and smarter than everybody there. And I was already in the clubs. I was doing everything at the station at 17 years old and just kind of observing how it was. But I also realized, hey, you guys don't represent hip hop. Like, you don't, this thing is happening. A lot of Frankie Crocker type guys at that yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, God rest his soul, because Frankie Cro Crocker is a legend. And, and for his moment in time, he was who he was. But when hip hop was starting to like, like bubble up and you couldn't they just used to throw i mean that's radioactive was literally like here you just do this little show midnight on friday like you can interview all these people i don't give a damn we're not playing that shit on the radio like that was really ultimately what it was we need a place to put music <laughs> and that's real that's what it was like they didn't understand it right and it was no disrespect to the program director but it was better that they focused on anita baker and luther vandross and you know Atlantic was yeah that's what it was i mean that's what you that's what you did so so there was a lot of um, energy um, in in hip hop that was happening, and so I watched it, and it was always it's still being disrespected to this day. But I yeah. watched it as the ultimate disrespect for being a kid that loved it so much. I mean, the only reason I got radioactive was because they had let Lady B go like three years earlier, and we didn't have a hip hop show, and she was the one that had the show, and she was the one I was listening to growing up, and so and then I was her intern like when I got there. And so they they um they, they took they took the show away and then um hip hop exploded. Like hip hop like blew up. There was so many different artists and it was so much going on. And then I went to my boss, it's like, y'all not y'all not feeding into this energy. This energy is like is out here and young people are out here. And so I would be the one at the station always saying we need to play this. I never forget it takes two and I was like, oh, this shit is crazy. Like, we got to play this shit. I was in college, 88. No, I, <laughs> I had that record. I was nine. <laughs> yeah, well. In the profile, in the profile. In the profile, the, yeah, profile, the, yeah. Uh, covering the big black writing. Yeah. That was one, that was one oh, DMC's man. label. And I um, yeah. I, uh, I told, uh, I remember going to my boss, said, we got to play this, we got to play this. And they was like, I don't, I don't get this. I don't get this. I mean, and, that, and there would be like a bunch of songs like that. And literally my role on the station, even when I was the radioactive guy, I would go to the program director and be like, all right, this right here is, this is, this is it right here. You need to play this record. Like you need to play this Queen Latifah, Wrath of My Madness. We need to rock this. Like this is a good song. Like it's not just a radio, a late night, late night radio song. Like this is something we need to play at night. And one of the reasons why we had a very successful night show was because we were playing a lot of these songs. You know, like I remember, um, and this is before I had the show, this is before I was interviewing anybody. Shoot, I remember I struck up a friendship with Scott LaRock. Like people don't know that story. So I'm, I'm, I'm gonna do a whole KRS-One podcast. And Scott LaRock was a brilliant dude. He was a social worker. Shoot, he used to work in homeless um, shelters in New York. And That's he how was they met, right? Yeah, and, and he was a really nice guy. Like. I was really heartbroken when he died because he because he was one of the first people like um, it's so interesting too about hip hop the DJs the DJs are so powerful like not not as much now but man back then like Scott LaRock was the leader 
Jam Master Jay, hands down, leader of Run DMC, period. Like, looking back, he was the de facto leader of the group. He was the one that had the brilliant mindset to say, I'm going to do this label thing too, right? And he was a and and creating all these other artists. And he, he discovered 50 Cent. He put out Onyx. Um, uh, he, he took Sweet Tea and flipped her, flipped her name, um, Sweet Tea, I forgot, Sugar, whatever he renamed her, whatever. But he was just brilliant in the business, on the business side, and made a little nice little fortune, like putting these artists and stuff out. But he was the brains. And then when I tell the story of Run DMC, which I just posted today, I talk a little bit about basically Run and DMC, like basically tried out rapping to, to Jam Master J in the park, like, because he was that dude in Queens, like they wanted to be down with him. And he was just a cool dude anyway. But Jam Master J and Scott LaRock, what I most remember about them was just connecting with them and them showing me love and respect. And I was a kid and they didn't have to do that where a lot of the other artists, especially the R&B artists were assholes. They wouldn't, no, get out of here kid, who are you? But the DJ, Chuck D was another one. Like he like embraced me, like was like, you know, you know, he saw my energy and he would like, and, and when I first got radioactive and Public Enemy was, they were rock stars, he came down in his Ford Bronco and did an interview and hung out with me on a show and then we went out and hung out after that. Like, you know, those are the kind of memories that I have that I'll tell I heard about. about that Ford Bronco. It was legendary. It was like, it had like the craziest system in the, yeah. in the world in it. Um, and then when you and then you mentioned it on the podcast and I was like, yo, it just, cause it, it that was like something that like people had, like, like Chuck D had this. I, I've read about that, like, like from firsthand accounts from people that hung out with him. So when you said that in in the um in the podcast, I was just rolling. I think that was like in the. I think you mentioned that in the first one. In the Jay Z, because I talked about yeah. um Jay Z and Dame coming down in the in twin the Lexus. Lexus suits, and the, there was the, the the car that they used in the um Dead Presidents video, and I I just remember like. I remember giving him that interview and it was really Dame who worked it all out because Dame was a businessman. But I remember like there was something different about these guys. Like, you know, they just were different. They just didn't operate like most rappers and they had money. I mean, they would, you know, he it was, you know, I don't want to call him a drug dealer because he does say he was a drug dealer, but they had a lot of money. And so they, they operated <laughs> a lot. They operated a lot differently and they were able to fly a bunch of chicks to, you know, uh, St. Thomas and do all this other cool stuff and they really like set the tone and changed hip-hop and it was like in the jay-z podcast i talked about um he literally like almost psychopathic in a sense he like was so confident and had so much swagger he rapped like he was the best rapper period and then he kind of, in the records, he was saying, I'm teaching y'all something. Like, I'm teaching you rappers a little something. And he would drop all these little nuggets. He was so ahead of his time. And and just just um, leaving a million dollars on the table, Priority was like, yeah, we still want you after Reasonable Doubt was a huge success. They owed him a million dollars and they, they were playing hardball with the money. Like, oh, we need you to sign this new deal and then we'll give you this million dollars. He was like, keep the million dollars. And he walked and went and did his own deal with Def Jam. I mean, think about that. What artist was going to walk in 97? He's what? He's like 27 years old at the time? Yeah, <laughs> just walked away from a, you know how much how much balls you got to have to walk away from a million dollars? I mean, walk away from a million dollars at any time in your life. <laughs> right. Hold on, and it's, million, and it's a million dollars that's already yours. It wasn't like right. they were giving him a million, it was already his money. It was already his money and he walked away. That just shows you the kind of dude he was. That was a businessman and then they kept questioning they kept 
cutting me off when I kept saying, oh, you on Def Jam? No, joint venture. And it was when I went back and I saw that interview, then I was like, oh, now I get what happened to Kevin Lyles in that movie when he was, when uh, Dane was getting his haircut and he was going off. That was that, that's what that was about though. Like that was literally the fight that they had was Def Jam was always trying to claim Jay-Z, claim Rockefeller, blah, blah, blah. But Jay and Dane was like, no, it's a joint venture. And they went in the, in that business mode early on and and connected with a phenomenal deal. They created a phenomenal phenomenal deal for themselves, and he was way ahead of his time. So again, for anybody now listening, you know the Backstory Podcast is on iTunes, it's on um, uh, Google Play. You just search Backstory with Kobe Cole. I tell a lot of these stories, but I'm most proud of the Biggie ones. To me, the Biggie is the best one, and I play. I interviewed his mom. Um, uh, two or three years after he died, it must have been. Yeah, it was like three years after he died because it was when Notorious came out. And so I interviewed his mom and I went back and listened to that interview and I was like, wow, people need to hear this. Like, like they know Angela Bassett played the mother in the movie, but this is the mom. And she was just breaking down stuff about Juicy, talking about she didn't have the act. And she was asking him like, you know, she thought, she, she wait till you hear this interview. She's like, she got mad at him because when he says something Alizé keeps me pissy, um, she thought that he was saying that, it, that her hallway smelled like piss and she got mad at him. And D-Rock said, no, Ma, Alizé is a drink. So she tells the story and she talks about not, she says, oh, I do have the mink now, but I didn't have the mink or the act. And she was, you know, just talking about learning about him being a hustler and under her own roof like she didn't know that he was hustling and selling drugs and she you know she like and then i tell the story in the biggie podcast i tell the story about how many single moms are just trying to keep food on the table trying to keep the lights on they're not really there all the time and their kids are up to stuff that they have just no idea what their kids are up to right and that's just that's all of us we can all relate to that um and, and that was biggie's existence and so I interviewed his mom and I interviewed um, DJ Mr. C who kind of tells the story of Big. And then I interviewed Big. <clears throat> I shared three inter interviews that I did with Big. Um, I, I, uh, the first interview was um, literally two months exactly before um, Ready to Die. And what people don't know about that is um, when Bad Boy came, Big was like the, Big was the, the big ticket item on Bad Boy. Like he was the guy that, you know, um, with that Bad Boy was gonna be built around. But then Puff dropped Craig Mack flavor in your ear and it's just, it's, it's a monster. And Big struggled because he was a hardcore rapper. And in the movie Notorious, they showed when Puffy played the M2 Me, how he was laughing, his, his little C's laughed at him like, what is this juicy food? Like, we. This is bullshit. We're not, we not doing this. Like, he wanted to be a hardcore rapper. He didn't want to do it, right? He didn't want to do it, but the brilliance of Puff, Puff said, you know, no, I need I need you to do radio because I need these radio songs and I'll give you the B-sides. Remember, you know, Unbelievable. Um, and Juicy. And Unbelievable was on the other side of Juicy. Who Shot You was on the other side of um, Big, Big Papa. Papa. Yeah. Um, and uh, Puff was like, I'll give you the hardcore but you gotta give me these joints. And I tell the story a little bit about Puff. I tell a little bit of his story and what he did to get to the, you know, to, to rise to the occasion of being the executive that he was. But the brilliant 
Um, I call Puffy, you know, if hip hop was Pinocchio, Puffy was Geppetto. Cause he knew how to, he knew, I mean, he was brilliant enough to say, I'm gonna take the hardest street dude in the Wu-Tang Clan and I'm gonna put him with the princess of pop music and we're gonna do a remix. And the first line is keeping it real, son. Come on, dog. Any executive sitting back be like, you want to put Old Dirty Bastard on the song with Mar- Mariah Carey? You want to put the Wu-Tang with SWV? Like, SWV was like a bubblegum R&B group, and the Wu-Tang was straight from Shaolin, and he merged them in that in that remix, right? And I tell two, two parts of the brains of Puff, um, which actually should be his own podcast, the brains of Puff, because he's a brilliant guy. Yeah. Um, the um, if you listen to the original version of All I Need from Method Man and the original version of One More Chance from Biggie, they were both hardcore street records that have had no business on the radio. They would never be on the radio. And he basically took You All I Need, which was a grimy RZA, 90s grimy beat from RZA. He takes All I Need, he flips it with the uh, with the with, with a little melodic um, Marvin Gaye, Tammy Terrell, uh, all I need, right? His own little version of that. Then takes a line from Me and My Bitch from Big, Die for You, Lie for You, whatever that line is. Die together, die together, die together. That was so brilliant, and that song basically made Method Man a sex symbol to women. Like, women wasn't checking for Method Man when that came out. Women was loving Mary J. Blige, but the, the merge of that energy, and then Puff saw with Juicy and Big Papa. Big Papa was a worldwide smash. I mean, that was a huge record. He saw that there was something special about Big on, um, on the radio. Like, he knew how to, he, there was something special about Biggie on an R&B type song on the radio. So then, in early um, 95, he drops Can't You See with Total, and that's a smash, like, you know, um, and so he goes back into the archive and takes one more chance and flips it with the um, the beat from DeBarge, which some say was stolen from Big L, because Big L had a song out. Yeah, MVP, MVP remix. Yeah, yeah, MVP remix with the same track, and, and some say Puff heard that and took that track, but he takes that track flips one more chance and then gets all the hip hop to kind of embrace Biggie who was already like at that point the album was only like platinum the album ended up becoming four times platinum and it rocked for a year and a half he rocked that album for a year and a half which never really happens before right and set Biggie up to be a superstar but actually the the one thing that Puffs did that was brilliant for Big was I'm gonna put you on the Flavor in the Air remix and I'm going to start you on it because you're just a dope MC. I'm gonna start you at the beginning of that song and that is going to change the dynamic of your career. And you think about it, it was the legend LL and then it was a rising star in Busta Rhymes, uh, a new artist in Rampage, a new artist in Craig Mack and a new artist in Puff, I mean, in, in Big. Think about that for a minute, that just never, that just never happens. Like, and and um, big success, obviously, a lot of it is due to Puffy, but Puffy was just a brilliant guy. And I don't think he gets a lot of credit for that. You know, he he doesn't, people don't talk about just the, just the having the idea to do something like that and then watch it play out. You know, I can see him now. I say in the podcast on Biggie, I can say, yeah, he walks into 
you know, um, it wasn't Tommy Mottola no more, but I mean, it must have been Donnie Einer, whoever was at Mariah Carey's label and said, yeah, I want to do I'm going to do the remix. But I'm going to put Old Dirty Bastard on it. You know, what I mean, think about that. Like that just would never happen. That, that just never would happen. Like you, you must be out your mind. But he had the magic touch. And in fact, you could say he he dramatically changed the dynamic of Mariah Carey's career, too, because then all of a sudden she would do all these Everything was with a rapper. Like she had to be on a song with a rapper. She honey, was addicted to that. The honey yeah. remix with the locks. Yeah. yeah, she did a song with Jay Z. Yeah. You know, so I tell a lot of these Bone stories. Ducks, Mob Deep. Yep. yep, I tell a lot of these stories, and um, you know, I, I'm excited. It gave me a new um, sense of creativity just to be able to tell the stories, and just when I do the research, and I'm, you know, I'm going through stuff like. You know, just like, um, and then I'm going to expand this. So, like, for instance, I'm going to do one on Pete Rock. I was just talking to him. I was like, dude, I, I just need to do you, one on you just because I just feel like, uh, and I'm going to do one on a large professor, too. I just got to track him down. But um, oh, actually, cool. the best podcast that I have that is going to blow everybody away, and I'm going to drop it sometime this year, is Kanye West. I got a monster on him because I was one of the early people to support Kanye when he was on a white label, when he was on a white label. Um, so I'll, I'll rewind it a little bit. I um, I knew Kanye, knew about Kanye because of Beans, because he was he had done a couple tracks for Beans and um, and obviously um, Blueprint. I mean, the Blueprint album was like, I mean, he killed it. I mean, this kid like. He hit a home run for an unknown producer. He hit a home run. And Cootie is the director who did um, uh, The Wire. And he was working for Nissan. And um, he was doing something for Nissan. And I, when I was working in Philly on the radio, and it was something, and this was in the, um, this is like 2002, 2003. He was working for Nissan, and I met him, and we kicked it or whatever. And, and he kind of told me a little bit about you know, Kanye the producer is Kanye the artist. So when Through the Wire came out, I kept watching the um I kept watching the video um on uh, MTV Jams when it was MTV Jams, now it's BET Jams, but when it was MTV Jams, they kept showing through the wire. I was like, what is this? This is amazing. Yeah. So I started playing on the radio in Philly and um I had he did three he did three free shows for me. And the wow. third free show was um, he was a superstar, like he was on the second album, like he was, you know, he was a superstar artist. But on the first album, and this is on YouTube, on the first album, a couple days before college dropout, I um, I did, I used to do this thing in Philly called Behind the Beats. And I, and I didn't have a budget to do like big concerts and big events. So I came up with this idea to do like mini concerts, mini event, events invite a bunch of listeners, record the whole thing, and then play it back on the radio. So Kanye was like a couple of days after the release. It was the same week that College Dropout came out. It was a couple of days after that. And he had the number one song in the country, which was um, You Don't Know My Name from um, from uh, Alicia Keys. He, he was just this 2003 or 2004 or whatever. And um, I did this interview with him and it was such a great interview because it was like the, the title of this podcast will be, be called i miss the old kanye podcast that's the name of it because he's never been humble i ain't gonna tell you it was humble kanye but yeah. kanye was um he was witty he was 
you know, just telling stories about the album, telling stories about when he grew up, grew up about um, just little stuff that he was, t- little stories that he was telling. But what was great about it was I surprised him that night and introduced him to Kenny Gamble and we did it live. And that video is on YouTube. So if you Google Kenny Gamble and Kanye, yeah. And that's the producer, producing legend. And the first question that Kanye asked him was, can you give me a discount on the sample? <laughs> so um, the Kanye podcast, so this was so crazy about the Kanye podcast, and I wrote it already. I just haven't recorded it yet. I tell the story of, um, I tell the story of Kanye, but from a producing standpoint, and the producers of hip hop. I do like a little history of the producers of hip hop. So I start out with um, Larry Smith. Larry Smith is just a regular old name, but Larry Smith is the godfather of producers in hip hop. Houdini. Yeah. Run DMC. Roll DMC. Yeah, he he was he was that dude. I mean, I talk about um Orange Crush when he did action, <laughs> that beat. <laughs> That was the beginning of Sucker MCs. So I talk about him, talk about Large Professor, I talk about um, Beat Miners, I talk about Beat Nuts, like I talk about Q-Tip, like all these amazing producers. And one dude, Kanye, is watching all of that in the 90s and then just takes all of that, I mean, Teddy Riley, Pharrell, all of these people he watches. And then he is becomes this amazing, like, he's like, he took a little bit of all of them and he became this amazing producer who makes this amazing music and these amazing, amazing infectious beats and the soul that he brought into him, like just Jay-Z's face when he would hear a new Kanye beat, you know what I mean, on Blueprint. Um, you know, that story needs to be told a, because we need to show respect to the producers because I've always been a beat head. I love beats. Um, I think producers sometimes don't get enough credit. And so, yeah, we know about Dr. Dre, but do we know about Ski? You know, do we know yeah. about the large professor? Do we do we even bow down to the large professor? The large professor, Breaking Adams is a fucking classic album that every kid, Talk it should be mandatory, any hip hop kid, you need to listen to that album and sit there and absorb the brilliance of that album. Talk to him. <laughs> yeah, what, man. the tracks on that joint? Looking at the front door is just, Looking at that, the front door. that joint is magical. Like, What's that one called, baseball? We just, no. A we friendly just, game of baseball? Yeah, we just hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> like, large professor was, I just don't, I, I, to me, that is a quandary in hip hop. Like, why didn't he become Dre? He was so great. You know what I mean? Like, he was just amazing. I, 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 I always, I, I, I sat back and thought about that one day when I was listening. I was listening to Breaking Adams, and I, and I was like, he didn't, he didn't have Snoop. Like, he had Nas, but he, Nas wasn't on his label. Like, if he had his own label, and Nas was on his label, I think we, we get the, the East Coast version of of dr dre and you get that empire built but because he didn't have a label situation yeah. where he could sign an artist like he had Akinelli, but he wasn't on he wasn't on large professor's label he went and got his own deal nas went and got his yeah. own deal so he because he didn't have that that situation set up to where he could get the artists on his label 
you don't he didn't he couldn't build that he tried that. though he yeah, tried he definitely he tried tried for like yeah. maybe like three years you know like just An another know. unsung hero is diamond d another unsung hero brilliant producer <laughs> digging in the crates i mean just yeah man. like you if you go back and listen to his album um uh, what was that song called um my name is joe yeah, gotta get it, gotta get it, gotta get it. I'm out of here. Yeah. Yo, we 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 talked about because we, we had OC on on the show and we had we had C on the show and we talked about uh we talked about Diamond and just like like the brilliance, the underrated brilliance of him as not only a, a producer but as an MC. I mean, as an MC, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah man. And, I, and it boggles my mind too. Like, so this, so I actually got interview. I have interviews with all of those guys. I mean. You know, you said OC. I got a bunch of OC interviews, and uh, Jay Dill is another one. I mean, you know, God rest his soul, but he was another producer that was just that era is just like that era in the '90s. Man, these were these were Picassos. Like they were just these guys were just. They gave me the love. They kept my love for hip hop. Like I won't. I won't lie to you and say that um, my thirst for hip-hop was challenged when it went to the west coast because i felt it was becoming too violent and it wasn't i loved nwa don't get me wrong i love their music but i felt that there was something fundamentally changing and then i would go to the jack the rapper and when i tell that story in the biggie i tell the story in the biggie the first time i met biggie was at jack the rapper in 93 and how we were literally it was a, it was a, almost like a, a riot because Luke brought all these gangsters from Miami into Atlanta to fight the death row people. And I was like, oh shit, what is happening to hip hop, right? And then three years later, the two biggest hip hop artists are dead. You know what I mean? Like, so I was a little, um, I, I got Common when he, when Common, uh, when Common did I love her? Like I got him, I was like, yeah, I feel the same way, bro. Like, that's exactly how I feel. Yeah. And, um, you know, he took heat for that. You know, he went back and forth with Ice Cube. He took some heat for that. But I was a little disillusioned in hip hop of what kept my love for the genre was the beats and the music and the melodies. And, you know, it was really like, um, just cool. Like to just, when we had an instrumental on the track, you know, like, you know, listening to the beats that Havoc did, um, the, the Mob Deep uh, album that, you know, the first album when it was, you know, um, uh, Survival of Juvenile the Hell or the Infamous. The, no, Juvenile Hell was the first album, right? Yeah. When it was Kids. Yeah, that's Wait, the kid, that was hidden for the back, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, not that <laughs> album. The, the, second, the, the second Infamous when it was you know, um, Shook Ones, that beat, like that beat, the Shook Ones beat is like still get the stank face. Yeah. And um, I'm glad I got a chance to see him at the Roots Picnic. He died like literally a couple weeks after the Roots Picnic. Yeah, um, but but um, that's what kept me like, that shit kept me, that kept me going because then I started to see the criminals and the negativity and then like the Shook Knight and all the shit that was happening with him. And I happened to be around him a couple times and saw how how uh at that let me tell you I mean that documentary on BET that brought back a lot of uh, memories because 
God must God be looking out for me, man, because there was a couple times when I was at that point where I wanted to say something, but I I, I didn't say nothing because he probably would have killed me. Um, but nobody was saying nothing. Like everybody was just like, like it was one thing to be kind of gangster, but it's another thing when when you would have events and people would die. Like that shit didn't make any sense. Like he would have a party, it would be a pool party. And somebody will be found, there'll be a yacht party and there will be a dead body found on the side of the yacht the next day. You know what I mean? Like it was always some shit like that happening around death row. And I was I was worried about it. And then when Biggie died, um, and Tupac died, I was just like, oh man, this is this is not good. This is not good. This is this is not good. I, I literally thought when Biggie died that that was it. It was over. They're gonna pull the plug on this shit. Like this shit is it's a it's a wrap. Yeah. Um and then yeah, I, 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 I had that feeling like that, that uh like i thought big companies like the big uh labels were going to start divesting from the genre um and then i remember i remember my uncle saying to me he was like he was like they still selling records right and he's like he's like they gonna keep they 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 don't care who does they they're gonna keep selling them as long as they making money he was like the moment they stop making money that's when they'll start they'll start pulling out or they'll find different ways and you know see where we at now well i i i felt that way but actually that was also jay-z had given me hope when i heard reasonable doubt because ski was just another great producer that just delivered a gem of an album and ski underrated camp low album come on man that album is amazing yeah man you know, and, so and he turns you know, right those are the John Blaze. <laughs> I mean, just yeah. incredible producer. Yeah, I mean, it's just there's so much uh, to hip hop's history. So, so Kobe, let, let, let me let me ask you: um, mm -hmm. Is there you, you kind of mentioned it with, with Ye, but is there is there is there an interview that you have that that we would be surprised to know that like this person was like just his story was just so incredible. Like I mean, because we kind we kind of know about about uh, Big and kind of know about Jay, but I mean, is there somebody just where you be like, yo, you would never know? Like this dude's story is incredible. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, that's a that's a that's a that's a really good question. And you guys probably are a little different than the average hip hop fan. I think, I think the average hip hop fan doesn't know this stuff. The average hip hop fan has a surface knowledge of an artist okay yeah he was a drug dealer that became a rapper okay that's jay-z that's biggie that's you know you know um i mean the wu-tang was if i told you that you know six felons would high school dropouts would somehow come together and make a classic album but also expand into multiple different careers I mean, six felons, think about that. Like that's six felons, um, poor, uh, ain't got shit to lose. And they deliver a masterpiece like 36 Chambers. Like, uh, like that's, it, that just doesn't happen, man. It just, come on dog, that, does, that doesn't happen. It created what like recognizable logos, like, you know, like, People know the Wu Tang W like they know like the you know like the Golden Arches. It's like that you know where they yeah yeah that's what I'm saying like and again did it did they know that they were all all 
uh, felons and that they were all in um, a position, you know, really they was on the edge, you know, and they almost cost me my job two times. The first time I ever <laughs> met them, I almost got fired. No, oh, you, oh, you got You got to give us at least one of those stories. Uh. Yeah, well, no, they they um, they they were just signed to Loud because um, Protect Your Neck was a white label, and um, Loud picked it up. Steve Ripken picked it up, and they came to Philly to um, they came to Philly to do my to do the first interview with um, on my show, and when they showed up to do the interview on my show. They were all in a van and they get out and they're like um, a tornado goes to the station because they were hungry. And so they go and they rustle up the anything that was left in the vending machine. I think they took stuff out the vending machine. There was all kind of shit paraphernalia in the hallway. And I was just getting, you know, I was a you know, I was a kid at the station and it was late at night on a Friday night. And so my boss the next day Steve Rifkin was getting married. No, 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 no. Hiram Hicks, who was from Philly, was getting married the next day, that Saturday. And Hiram at the time was the um, working at um, Virgin Records, not Virgin, um, Island. He was like the head of Island Records at that, at that moment. Um, and uh, my boss like confronted Steve Rifkin about the, um, you know, about Wu-Tang and what they did to the, you know, they just, it, it actually in hindsight, it wasn't that bad, but it was that bad at that time because it was just like, I was a little intimidated because the labeled people, um, they used to say, and it's funny, um, he, I, I don't know if he was, Jonathan Rifkin is Steve Rifkin's little brother. And Jonathan Rifkin is a nice guy. He's just like a nice Jewish kid, like not confrontational. And they sent him out on the road with artists. And I never forget, he was out on the road with Mob Deep. And I used to do on um, Saturday nights, We there was another club in Philly called Fever. We recreated the Fever in Philly. And I used to do on Saturday nights, I would do these shows at the Fever on Chester Street. It used to be the Cat Club back in the day in Philly. And um, we had Mob Deep in there. And um, every Saturday night, kids would be fighting. Actually, funny story, the coat check girl was pink. <laughs> Think about that for a minute. Yeah. How crazy is that, right? Right. She's the only white girl in there. It was Dominique, the owner, and uh, Pink, whatever her real name is, Alicia. She was the Alicia, yeah. the, the coat the coat the coat girl, and all they would do was fight. Like they would just fight. And Mob Deep was in the VIP room, and they were so amped up on the fighting that they started fighting each other, their crew in the in the room. And Jonathan just couldn't. He just nothing he could do. He was like, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? Like, seriously, you can't control your artists that they're gonna, they're gonna fight each other. Um, uh, and, I, and I and and this is just another. I know this is I'm a way off base here, but the, uh, just another um, funny story about the fever. I remember I booked um, the Fugees. This was when the first remix came out. Um, Nappy heads. Oh, vocab. Nappy heads. Cause Nappy Heads was first, then it was vocab, Na right? Nappy Heads was first, yeah. Yeah, so it was Nappy Heads, so I booked them, and they walked into the Fever, which was the street, grimiest street club in Philly. Fever wasn't having it. Listen, no, and they had instruments. And I was like, oh, they're gonna murder these, they're gonna fucking murder them. And um, Wyclef, and I'm sure he got this from The Roots, cause The Roots was already doing it. The Roots, one of their claims to fame early on was, 
how they would get crowds is they would know what the hot beats were and they would reenact the hot beats like quest was was a beast on that and why uh Wyclef and lauren started flipping beats with real instruments and he and they had those the hoodest cats in the palm of their hands like just sitting there with their eyes open like this is amazing how music and they say music calms a savage beast like they just had the, everybody in the club mesmerized they killed it they they it was that night that i was just like oh shit, these guys are gonna be they're gonna be superstars you know what i mean and anyway a year later they put the score out and it was just the rest was history so um that's one interview i cannot find any of my fuji's interviews i can't find i did my first interview with most deaf was a really good interview and I can I can't find it and it was a really good interview because I remember I didn't want to interview him I didn't I was late at night and the record company person that was bringing him was two hours late I was tired it was 1 30 in the morning and he was like oh you gotta do this interview I do the interview with him and I realized that he was in this group called UTD do you remember underground thermal dwellers and they had this joint called hardcore nights in the city they had, yeah, and they yeah, had yeah. This, uh, this song called Love It, La 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 La. It was, wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't two guys and a girl, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was in that group. Yeah. And that was the MC. So, yeah, yeah. so I learned in this, I was actually, this is before the internet. Like, I'm actually learning about the dude in the interview. And so I learned about that. And then I learned um, he's an actor. And at the time, he was in uh, NBA, uh, he was in a visa commercial with Yao Ming. He was the. It's on YouTube. He's the. He's the. Um, he's the clerk in the store, and Yao Ming tries to use the <laughs> card, and it was a Super Bowl commercial, and it, yeah, was like it doesn't big, work. It, it was yeah, it was like a big deal, and so then I find out that he's an actor, and then we just it was just a really great interview, and I just don't have that interview. I don't. I don't know where that interview's at. So if anybody out there has that interview, I would love. I would love any of my lost interviews. There's a bunch of them for some reason that I don't. It's, it's interesting that I have a, a um, I have um, a lot of people don't know that the genius was a solo artist um, before he was with Wu Tang, and he was on a major label when he was a solo artist. And I have that interview. I have an interview with the G, with the RZA, who was Akeem or Prince Akeem. Prince uh, Rakim. Yeah. Prince Rakim. I did an interview with him. I can't find that, but that was like in '91, right? And that was way before, you know, the, I mean, he was, uh, it, ooh, we love you, Rakeem. That was the name of the song, right? I got, a, I did an interview with him. Um, I'm sketching out my Wu-Tang, um, I'm sketching out my Wu-Tang podcast now. You, you um, might need a couple volumes for that <laughs> But I don't have a lot of Wu-Tang interviews. Like, I don't have a lot. I literally don't have a lot. For some reason, I just don't have a lot. But I do remember, um, ODB interviewing him uh, the Friday before the release of his solo album. And he came to the station, he was drunk and he spilled Alizé all into the board and I almost got fired. I just never forget that. And then he gave me a dat because he wanted to freestyle and he was freestyling the dat and he was like, and he was stopped in the middle of the freestyle and he was like, why do I sound so good? The fool didn't realize that he was rapping over his own lyrics on, a, on the back. And he stopped in the middle. And he's like, why do I sound so good? Now, this is when I wish that I had video, right? Like I need it, I need video of this. And um uh yeah. So look what another question for you. Um mm -hmm. you you were such a uh proponent of 
of MCs from the city, whether it was Bahamadio or the Ram Squad or the Roots, whoever. What what what's uh? Do you have any uh any good stories about uh some of the artists from the city? Um. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot. I mean, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you got some. Yeah, I mean. Is there one that stands out? I, there's probably a better way. Well, there's a producer that stands out that I that I feel like like how we talked about you know large professor Diamond D. There's Ruggedness. a producer named Ruggedness. Ruggedness. Yeah, was, yeah was, I knew I knew that's exactly who he was. Supposed Rugged to say. used to do my intros, and he was a beast. And he was like wasting his talent, giving away his beats for like fifty dollars here, sixty dollars there. Like Rugged was mean. I might have one. <laughs> He used to do my beats, and I was like, "Rug, like, dog, you like a little mini Dr. Dre, dog. Like, your shit is like another level." Um, I liked. Um, I got. I got some Ram Squad stories because I kind of knew them dudes, and I knew Tommy well, and and it's just the whole yeah. their story where they came from, and you know, they they had they had a but they they actually were signed to Universal when Nelly got signed. They both got signed at the same time and they actually went to St. Louis and they was in um, the uh, uh, Nelly's, uh, whatever that first song was called that he put out. That Country Grammar. That. What'd you call it? Country Grammar? Country Grammar, yeah. Yeah, Tommy Hill was in was in that video and um, they were on Universal at the same time. And um, it's just really sad and dark what happened to boy back not boy back he's alive um what happened to um bank <clears throat> the manager he was a mastermind and he got murdered in north philly like holding his son i never forget that like who does that even if you hate me like don't do that while i, when I got my kid and then you know tommy got murdered a couple years ago um so they were to me they were like they were like the philly group that could have been superstars. They were. They could have been like a Philly Wu Tang, like Boy Bax and Tommy Hill. The the chemistry they had, that chemistry yeah. was Run DMC type chemistry. The way that they would go back and forth on on songs, yeah, like when they do like Bring It On, Bring It, uh, Bring It On, Boy Bax, Bring It On, that joint. Yeah, like, I, I they were live, and it was it was it was it was pretty dope to see them do it like live and it was just that you're you're absolutely right their chemistry was uh yep. pretty remarkable yeah so anyway like you know the, those are those are some stories of of the philly scene and um and just 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 you know our 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 national hero uh jesse weaver you know what i mean and that is <laughs> Scooby D. You know what I'm saying? He is a hero. He is a hero. This kid is on scene. Yeah, I mean, I, I used to, I met him early on in my career, and he had already been like he had his, I mean, Gucci time and all that. Well, I was in high school, but he used to have a white Lincoln, and um, like one of them old Lincolns, and I used to always see him going to the bank. <laughs> And you know, I'd be on the bus or whatever, and I see him going to the bank, and and um, you know, he doesn't get a lot. He don't get enough credit either. He's another one that doesn't get enough credit. But I got a lot of stories, man. I mean, I, I'm excited. I got I got a lot of stories to tell, and I'm looking forward to um, you know telling people a, a lot of these uh, stories and then sharing the audio so people can actually hear it. And when I'm long gone. You know, it'll be here out in the archives. People will have access to it. 
Nah, man. This like when when I when I'm hearing these, I'm like, yo, this this is something that like the, these people need to hear these. This this is this is Smithsonian level stuff. It's because, history. It, it yeah, is because history. I mean, yeah. like like what you're saying is absolutely right. I mean, me me and Vod like because this is this is the thing that we love. We I kind of take it for granted that like I just. I just take it for granted that people know certain things about hip hop. So when they don't, I'm just like, yeah. Like, but but you're right though. Like I mean, you you find out real quick like how like how much of a niche genre hip hop was for so long. I mean, now it's the biggest thing, but it wasn't. That wasn't always the case. And so a lot of that early stuff, the stuff that we love. It gets lost on a, on a lot of people, you know. So yeah, but now it's like um, give me like let me get this let me get this check. Yeah, I mean I I mean obviously it's not the same, and we talk about that all the time. But I mean I'm I'm just saying as far as like the exposure is there, but it's it's not the same with the the, the death of content. So you don't you don't you don't necessarily get you know. A night, a year like 1995, where it was just album after album after album, or or turn around and then 96 is is even, you know, we did we did a um we did a mixtape about uh 90 95 96 and just the 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 classic albums that came out in those in classic songs that came out in those years, you know, well, and, and was, those are, 96 yeah. was was wow i mean yeah that, that's why the death of biggie and tupac was so hurtful because 96 was such an amazing year of music and in the midst of all of that amazing music we lose within a you know a six month span we lose the two biggest rappers that's that's yeah. that's crazy 96 Man. was just yeah it was and, and that, that is right around the corner it's yeah, just, i mean yeah i mean 96 you think about it it's it was written it's machiavelli it's all eyes on me it's the iron score man. iron man it's uh beats rums in in life doubt. it's reasonable doubt it's uh uh soul on ice it's uh, uh i believe 96 is good is it good no atl is one of those one of those yeah, two ATL. Games, ATL. Yeah, ATL. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, it was actually so a nice. J Root Damager. Yeah, it was a nice Rapid hodgepodge, of math comes out. hodgepodge of, of hip hop at that yeah. in that moment. A lot of people put their and, best work out. And then Big sprinkled a couple things in there. He didn't have an album that dropped in '96, but he was he was on every other remix and you know features galore. You know, sprinkled in uh, some Junior Mafia tracks that came out. <laughs> You know, so to hold them over until '97. You know, so we just we felt like we needed to to get you back on just because you're doing this and you have like so much material uh, to to provide that. Um, you know, because right now there are a lot of podcasts out there. There are a lot of people that are going back, you know, to memory lane and kind of coming with some things but the audio that you have i think that's just your your secret weapon and also just the stories and you know like you said like the backstory like really 
being able to be behind the scenes and, and, and provide that, you know, that we needed to let people know that's what you're doing. Absolutely. We like to use, you know, our little platform that we're trying to build to, to let people know that there is stories like this. There are people doing things like this so that if they are at a loss where they're looking for something to listen to, they can always know where to find it. So, I mean, this episode by far, if I'm listening to it, I've, I've never heard anything about your, your podcast. Or I even never even listened to Radioactive before. You know, that that's something that already has wet my appetite to, you know, if I was somebody like that, to, to go ahead and do that. So we appreciate it. You know, you, you being so generous with your time. I mean, when you said that you've been on here before, remember we had the lost episode with you. Yeah, you, 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 <laughs> oh, that's right. Did you ever find? Did you ever find it? Uh, no. Our old uh, service provider, uh, they, they, we had a lot of technical issue, issues with them. So I, w- I won't trash them. I'll just say we we switched service providers, and you know, so we're, we're here courtesy of ourselves. Um, <laughs> But no, that that's that's the reason why you know we, we just uh, just appreciate you know everything that Absolutely. you've done, and what you're continuing to do, and the fact that you even you know were able to give us this time tonight. We really appreciate that. And, and the forethought to keep these tapes. I know you said you lost a lot, but yeah, the 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 forethought because I I, I hear artists say, yo, I did this and this, and I and they don't have an actual record of it or or account of it. And the the fact that that you have these interviews. This is this is like to Vaz's point. This is what makes your podcast different from everybody else's that's out because you have that content. Um, that you know, people people don't know Jay Z as not being you know a mogul. You know, people people don't know you know uh, you know that side of Jay-Z all they see is him standing next to Beyonce you know running you know the world <laughs> you know right. so right. they you know they don't they don't know uh you know reasonable doubt Jigger. so yeah. you 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 not only having it's one thing to tell people but to be able to for them to hear hear it themselves and you can literally hear the evolution in in the audio and I and yeah. I, I I felt like that's what you were going for. That's exactly um, what I was going for. Um, so it, it 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 comes across very well. So anybody that's out there that is a fan of hip hop music and culture, definitely check out our big homie, our OG, uh, Kobe Cole uh, backstories. Uh, again, tell them where they can find it. Um, you can go on um, iTunes. Uh, or Google Play Music and just search Backstory with Kobe Cole. Um, there's a SoundCloud page. Okay. I'm on um, all social media at Backstory PCC um, for the show. And for me uh, on Twitter, it's Kobe Cole, C-O-L-B-Y-C-O-L-B on Instagram, Facebook, um, official Kobe Cole on Snap, official Kobe. Um, and you should just follow me anyway, because I have a really cool, interesting life. And I share a lot of my life on social media and um drop a lot of gems on social media so like i appreciate all the new followers and supporters and if you do get the podcast and subscribe to it please um leave a comment um leave a rating and spread the word tell all your friends i mean i'm building this from scratch and um you know uh it's gonna take some time to you know get people engaged with it but um it's a it's a great i mean and, and the ultimate goal and i said it earlier said i'm gonna interview like pete rock but even people that i didn't get interviews with from back in the day, I'm going to do new interviews with them and just salute them and highlight them. So that's another part of the podcast that you'll see. 
Yo, and I want to shout you out, man, because as you said, you you share some great content. One of the best things that you share, and I and I, I was fortunate enough to catch it and able to repost it. You you, you shared a breakdown of how uh the tax uh this um air quoting the tax credits get broken down and in the effects over the long term and how and how those actually play out for the the new tax uh credit plan. Yeah. So yeah, I think that was one of the best things and um. Uh, it was it was eye opening for a lot of people who were who were on the verge of saying yo look what he did you know he did it and then when you when you look at the map it doesn't you know unless you have a you know a private jet or literally uh, yep. you own a golf course because uh, you get tax credits for those um, but that's a whole other thing that we could that we could probably spend another hour but, or so on but I just want to appreciate you for that. I appreciate that in politics and what's going on is another passion of mine because I feel like as Americans, we are not as smart as we used to be in regards to just seeking knowledge and seeking the truth and Absolutely. people just kind of accept what it is. Uh, just, just um, It was a joke, but it's really sad. So the other day, Jimmy Kimmel, I don't know if you saw it, but Jimmy Kimmel, he does that lie, that lie thing with the news. And he went out and interviewed people on the street about the crisis in Wakanda. And <laughs> you got to see the video. It's like, oh, it's, it's hilarious. <laughs> so, but people did not know, like, they thought that there was a, a crisis and 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 we shouldn't take the vibranium and like, and you know, Trump. Trump has got has got a problem with the prime minister of Wakanda and they're going back and forth on Twitter and it's like that's the world we live in so you got to have the knowledge and so um that's how we got the president that we have now because I don't think people are just aware enough of what's really going on and a lot of things that are happening now we're going to pay we're going to pay for it I, I don't I don't I'm not excited about the future because at some point based on what, the track that we were taking, the, the these moves in the short term, yeah, people might have more money in their wallets, but the, the, the effects of this will be that many people, and I know this is not what the tissue and the tape is, but in some oh, people- Oh, we're all in Everything is hip hop, so- Well, the problem is that they've lowered the revenue coming in. And I, and I will agree with Republicans that I don't like the way we spend our money in our government. I feel like there's a lot of waste and there's a lot of waste in everything. Like every dollar that we personally have in our pocket is our dollars probably worth 50 cent based on who, everybody who gets paid off of our dollars. Meaning anything you do, there's a payoff somewhere, but now less revenues coming in. And so it's automatically set up automatically to cut social programs, Medicare, uh, Medicaid, food stamps, all that stuff. And when you start doing stuff like that, God help us all. Cause you know, people people get hungry and desperate and really bad things happen. And um, just even the whole healthcare thing, like why can't we have healthcare like Europe? Like why can't everybody have access to healthcare? Why is that a for-profit industry? It shouldn't be a for-profit industry, but it is. And that's why we're in the, and I, I just feel for the future. I worry about, I mean, you guys both have kids. I worry about the future for my daughter because it just feels like um, it just doesn't feel good. Like the direction that we're going, it just doesn't feel good. It feels very n nervous. And I'm older. 
I mean, I'm not that old, but I'm old enough to kind of know. I come from a family of people with that are, you know, my parents were basically, basically civil rights um, folks in the civil rights struggle and, you know, marched with Dr. King and, you know, every as a kid, I went to every freaking protest that there was. So I have that in my genes and my blood. Um, so I'm a little knowledgeable about things because that's the way I was raised. And it's really scary right now. Like this is the kind of stuff that my parents was telling me about, like in the 60s and in Jim Crow, like some of the things that are happening now. It, there's and never in a million years do you think that it, that it will happen. And I'll leave y'all one thing that my um, my wife's grandmother is 88 years old. So I always, she's got still sharp. We still talk or whatever. And we were sitting down over the holidays and we was just talking and she and I was like, is this the worst you've ever seen it in your lifetime? 88 years old. Yes. Wow. That, that, that speaks volumes. Man. That speaks volumes. Yep. Yes. She's oh, like, yes. Without hesitation. No, I've never seen nothing like this. It's bad. I mean, it's, it's bad. It's bad. It's bad. It's embarrassing. It's scary. You know, so God help us all, man. I, I say a prayer every night. Like, hopefully, you know, maybe God made this happen so that we could be more aware and alert. He like, oh, you, you guys are apathetic. You don't want to vote. Everyone said, oh, I don't want to vote. I don't care. My vote doesn't matter. Or my vote doesn't make a difference. One person is making a difference in the opposite direction. Just to keep that in mind. One person. One person. Everything is tied around this one person. Every direction that we're going in is based on one person. And if stuff hits the fan, this person has a lot of power that you just, these people that have a lot of power, just you don't just take power away from people that are powerful. You think they want to give it up? Uh, nope, don't work that way. <laughs> so it's scary. Yeah, man. That's, uh, my, that's, that's, that's my, my 10 cents. And, um, no, I no we, we need that. <laughs> um, like, that is, like, like we, we often say um, it, it's, it's become the motto of the show that everything is hip hop. And that includes uh, politics because these are the things that, that we, that so many of people in sitting in these chairs didn't talk about, which is a lot of the reason why the, the, the guy that shall not be named on tissue and the tape <laughs> uh, is where he is. Um, in, but we, what we have to learn, all of us have to learn. We're all gonna, we're all gonna learn. And that's what we're gonna do. It's gonna, yeah. it's gonna, we're gonna learn, and hopefully, more people will be, as they say, woke. And if yeah. not, God help us all. Yeah, man. He just, he just hired somebody today for his 2020 campaign. He already preparing for the next one. Yeah. He ain't even, a, he ain't even two years into it, and he got his campaign manager he hired today. And don't think he can't win again because he could. Yeah, yeah, because there's still people that don't think he's doing nothing wrong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which is, which is wild. That's just, um, that's just so. Yeah, man. Um, but that that is that is where we are. Um, I, I don't want to end on that. So what I will end <laughs> on is, is saying um, thank you, man, for everything that you've done, not only for for the music, but for the culture of hip hop, because because you're doing you're doing your podcast. But what you did with Radioactive and you know just the shows the everything even the stuff with wendy you know just just continuing to build culture and content for the culture stuff stuff that will live forever in things that that culture are built upon these are building blocks like i i, I 
I wasn't joking when I said that's uh, Smithsonian level things that you have um, probably sitting on your desk right now in that hard drive. Um, I just knowing that some of the things that they've collected for the Smithsonian. Um, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, what's the name, Vod? Uh, Timothy Ann <laughs> might be uh, might be giving you a call, yo. So. All right, listen, make it happen, bro. I'm, I'm, I'm open, man. Let them know. Spread the word. That's why, you know, spread the word. That's, that's, that's real right there. I mean, I, everything that I have, man, I'm, I'm just trying to leave some sort of legacy so people can know the some of these stories and know this information. It's sort of like um, Wikipedia for hip hop, but like an audio Wikipedia, so you can just learn this stuff. And when kids have to do reports on, you know, who was this Nas guy? You know, there'll be this Nas, you know interview and um the, actually the interview the first interview i had with Nas is, is almost 15 16 months before his first album and at the time he was a frustrated artist that was trying to figure out what his direction was he was still a kid you know and he was trying to figure out like oh man what what um i don't know what i'm gonna do blah blah blah, blah. you know what i mean um i got an interview with easy e you know like before right before he died you know, talking about Dr. Dre and now that I've gone back and seen the documentaries and saw the Straight Outta Compton movie, by the way, this interview um, that I'm going to share, I don't know how it ended up online, but somebody posted it and it's got almost two million, two million views on it, um, this interview I did with Eazy-E. So it's a lot of stuff that, you know, Queen Latifah, I'm going to tell her story. Um, and a lot of these people are my heroes, man. These are people that like, like, I can say that I have made a living off of this, man. Like I'm, I'm, you know, eating off of, you know, every day when I wake up, like putting food in my kid's mouth because of hip hop. And I can't, I mean, come on. And to me, that's my Wakanda. My, my Wakanda is hip hop. It's the perfect storm of just beats, rhymes, and the energy of life. And, you know, it's kept hip-hop me motivated. Yeah, it's, yeah, and it saved me. If it, it saved me, I don't know where I would be if it wasn't for hip hop. And hip hop, literally, you know, I, 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 I don't, I, I'll, uh, I gotta end it, guys, because I got a long oh, yeah, day yeah. tomorrow. I gotta, got an early train to catch. But um, I, um, I was at my lowest point in life, like lowest point, like literally depressed, and my brother just died. And I had no hope and I was 21 years old and flunking out of college at Temple and was hated the radio station because I wasn't making any money. This was before I had anything at the station. I had been there for five years. I was making $3 and 35 cents an hour, you know, flunking out of college and my brother just died. And my, my girlfriend at the time, she said, you are depressed and you need to go get some help because I was in a really dark place because I was about to actually go in and quit the radio station and go get a job and funk and quit school. Like, so I was not gonna go back to college. I was gonna get a job. Cause I just was, I was just at that point. And um, I went to go see a psychologist and um, she really kind of helped me, um, helped me on my path. She ended up becoming a famous um, uh, psychologist and um, but at the time she wasn't famous but we ended up being friends and um, she helped me on my path and she's like why are you so angry why are you so angry what's what's wrong I said you know I hate that damn radio station like they don't pay me no money and 
they won't put me on the air and I want my own show and I want to do this, that, and the other. And she said, well, did you ever ask for that? Did you ever ask them? And I said, you know what? No, I never asked them. I just was waiting for somebody to come to me and say, hey, do you want to do a show? And she said, I'll tell you what, if you want to quit, go ahead and quit. But before you quit, at least go in there and ask for what you want. And I went back home and I wrote out my plan, like what I wanted to do. Basically the diagram for the show. I did not have a name for the show. And I wrote out the diagram what the show was gonna be, blah, 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 blah. And I went and I presented it to my program director. And I remember I walked into his office and this was literally like my brother's funeral was like the next day because I had to go back to New York for my brother's funeral. And um, I uh, get the, um, I put the plan together and I go into the station, I give it to him. And then at the time I was working on the night show with the night jock, Stanley T was a, the night jock at the time. Or yeah, it was Stanley T. And um, the boss comes running in and says, come back to my office. He says, this is brilliant. This is great. Like, when can you start? When can you do it? And I'm going to pay you $150 a week to do this show. I want you to think about that for a minute. Think about, think about that for one minute. And I wasn't saved. I wasn't spiritual. I was just, I was just like, that wasn't who I was. And that was just a moment in time where somebody pushed me into the right direction and all I loved at the time was hip hop. I just loved hip hop and I wanted to share my love for hip hop with other people. And so I wrote the show out, I produced the show, I mixed the show, I did everything up front when the show first happened and I gave him a blueprint and he was like, how could I say no to you? Here's the show and this is what I'm gonna pay you. And it saved my life. I went back and finished college. I That summer of 1991 was one of the best summers I ever had, man. I was just like, you know, it, help, it was helpful financially that I had this other money coming in. Like, it was literally all of it, but it was based on hip hop. And that was it. And it saved my life. And I tell people that all the time. Like, it could get really bad. And, you know, you got to figure out a way to, to climb out and don't give up and don't give up on yourself. And I am a, you know, I am a, you know, an example of hip hop saving my life. It was my love for the beats, my love for the music, my love for just the MC, my love for the culture and feeling that the culture was not being represented the way it should be represented and I could be the one that represented it. And you, the fact that you named Sway, Sway is a good friend of mine to this day and we always joke because we the last of the Mohicans and we still doing it. Like we still doing our thing now, 20 something years later. But but I text Sway all the time. I listen to him all the time. I text him and we go back and forth and you know he's in this new um this new movie coming out um it's a remake of death wish he's in the movie playing himself yeah so um but ultimately um you know that era wouldn't have been an era for me if i just didn't listen to my girlfriend who told me to go see us you know go, go get some help and i got some help and I wasn't depressed anymore and it opened up the opportunity for me to live my dreams. And then it just turned into everything from that point on just exploded. Like that was 91. And so my whole nineties was like, the nineties, man, that was the best decade ever, man. I, I can't even explain <laughs> that. That was awesome time. So I agree. that's my story. I'm sticking to it. 
<laughs> hey man, thank you so much, Cole. Uh, uh, laugh, uh, smile, almost, almost had eye sweat. Um, thank you, man. Uh, such an inspiration. Uh, you know, you're always welcome. Your, your, uh, your, your family. Uh, head at the table in the uh, in the uh, the round table of that we call tissue in the tape, and you know what it is, Vod. Work for the money, live for the love, and die for what you believe in. This is tissue in the tape. Respect, he holds. They do hip hop better than you. Oh, this is Tissy in the tape. Like that, Daddy. Like that, baby. And memory of B.I.G. I steps mm. in where the moles Woo. and the hoes Fuck all that pretty Let's shit. Let's go, man. Damn, it feels good to see people up on it. Flip two keys in two weeks and didn't flaunt it. My brain is on it. With mean dreams, GSs with BBs on it. Supreme schemes to get richer and richer quickly. Niggas want to hit me if they get me. Check my body and live in my Armani. Check it. My lyrical carjack make your brain smack. High caliber gaps is all I fuck with. I keep the rough shit. It's well constructed, well conducted. See, this that hip-hop you fell in love with The fellas dug it, ladies adore me I spray the 40, it'll swell your nugget I see the hate, but I'm well above it This elevation, a celebration I tell the nation I'm hungry They kept a fella waiting Now I'm so fly, I swear I hear the propeller shaking In memory of Mr. B.I.G I'm shining like Rockefeller okay, Station Dopest ever, no big first I'm the closest ever uh. Real niggas do real things on the road to Cheddar yeah. This is that open letter, I should've wrote Valletta Biggie Smalls is still the illest Nobody wrote it better no <laughs> I'm trying to carry on tradition Woo! Throwing bullets that look like Barry Bonds pitching Alan Iverson Guess I carry on different Number one, do the math, nigga And carry your addition It's pain Damn, it feel good to see people up on it Flip two keys in two weeks And get me flaunted My brain is on it With mean dreams GSs with BBs on it Supreme schemes To get richer up the richie Quickly Niggas wanna hit me If they get me Plus my body And linen by Armani Check it My lyrical Carjack, make your brain splat High caliber gaps is all I fuck with I keep the rough shit The game corrupted, you ain't adjusted Well I did, now I'm the kid that you just ain't the fuck with yeah. I came for justice, Listen. I can't discuss this oh. I bang and bust this, then party on their grave like it's Dave and Busters it Lord forgive me, I bought the semi A fourth of Henny, well a fifth before I bought it with me Late night, a nigga talked to Biggie oh. Fully strapped while I walk the city My secret life, nigga walks a mini Disfinillation, oh. innovation, oh. no imitation I'm the dopest of my generation Facts. Shit, I'm the best process of elimination Damn. That old school mixed with that new shit That's integration This stipulation, you don't get a check Based on my flow, shit, I should get a check I see these niggas throwing they shade I just in the set Fuck who you thought was better, I interject The illest fellas since they developed the fucking internet It's pain yeah, it feel good to see people up on it Flip two keys in two weeks and get me flaunted My brain is on it With mean dreams, GSs with BBs on it Supreme schemes to get richer the richie quickly Niggas wanna hit me if they get me Plus my body and linen by Armani Check it, my lyrical carjack Make your brain splat High caliber gaps is all I fuck with Now keep the rough shit in my circumference Mad bitches with mad luchi Bulletproof vests under they coochie Spitting my Uzi, don't lose me My trigger niggas represent Driving dirty